Hello, everyone, and welcome to Unlocking the Potential of Assessments, the show that delves into creating, delivering, and reporting on valid and reliable assessments. In each episode, we chat with assessment luminaries, influencers, subject matter experts, and customers to discover and examine the latest and best practice guidance for all things assessment. I'm your host, John Kleeman, founder of Question Mark, the industry leader in assessment management software. And today, we welcome Dr. Leanne Furby, who's director of the Assessment Services Division with the National League for Nursing. She's got more than 25 years of experience in curriculum and instruction, instructional design, test development and project management. And her educational background includes a PhD in curriculum and instruction with a concentration in learning system design and technology. Welcome, Leanne. Good morning. Thank you, John. So why don't we start with the question I ask everybody, how do you get into this learning and assessment space? So I actually entered this space through my master's degree. I worked with Dr. Bill Coscarelli and Dr. Sharon Schrock. And at the time they were working on a project with Hewlett Packard Testing Centers of America, developing certification for their repair employees. So tell me a bit about uh, Bill Coscarelli and Sharon Schrock, because they're really heroes and uh, pioneers in the assessment space. They are. They are particularly well-known for their research and their consultative work on criterion testing. Um, and uh, they were co-leaders uh, back and forth for the instructional design program at Southern Illinois University in Carbondale. And just a wonderful experience getting to be mentored by them and really created the excitement that I still continue to have towards assessment even now. Yeah, no, I, I've met Bill and, and Sharon a few times. So they talked at a question mark user conference and their book on the criterion reference testing is excellent. I, I, they're really heroes of mine. And I think you did a PhD with them as well. Is that right? I did. I went back a few years later um, after working in industry as an instructional designer I wanted to further my education in the area um, for going into learning systems design and development and went back for a PhD in their program as well. Okay, well, I think we'll talk a little bit about your PhD later. Talk us through uh, how you moved into health education and the National League for Nursing. So once I graduated with my master's degree, I took a position with a company called DXR Development Group. They were a medical education software company. Primarily at that time, they were focused on problem-based learning software for um, medical schools. And they also, though, had contracts for doing computer-based software pioneering for Novartis Pharmaceuticals and other companies in that particular area. And I was hired on to uh, design and manage the patient education component for a drug on congestive heart failure with Novartis Pharmaceuticals. And it was funny, I was reflecting on the story with some colleagues yesterday. My background is not science. My background is early childhood at that point and child and family services. And when I was hired on, Dr. Hurley Myers, who was the president, said, here's a stack of books on congestive heart failure. You need to prepare patients for learning that they have CHF or that they're being assessed for CHF and how they'll live with it for the rest of their life. And with that, I was off and going. 
Great, great, great. And who are the National League for Nursing for people who don't know? Sure. So the National League for Nursing is uh, the organization that I'm currently with. I've been with them since 2007. The League is Nursing Education Membership organization. They've been around since the early mid-1800s, so we're over 150 years old. And they were the first organization to actually develop assessments for nursing education. So the licensure exam that grants you licensure to practice nursing here in the U.S. started with the league. Interesting, interesting. And I believe it's a nonprofit. That is correct. And uh, does a lot of sort of admissions testing and also pre-licensing testing and a variety of different nurse testing. Right. The division that I'm in, the assessment division, we deliver standardized testing for schools of nursing from pre-admission into the nursing program through their end of their program and graduation and then pre-licensure preparation. So, Leanne, talk to me about what you do to remove bias from tests. I mean, there's a lot of controversy in the U.S. at the moment that some admissions tests are unfair to some demographics. How do you deal with that? So, John, we actually, as part of our development process, we have a separate committee that is a volunteer committee that we pull individuals from across the U.S. outside of the assessment industry and outside of nursing to go through and to review our items specifically to look for diversity, inclusion, making sure that they're culturally sensitive and that we do not have bias in those items. Uh, there, as you can imagine, of course, we know in, in the medical area, there are different conditions that might affect one group more than another group or have more severe reactions or such things. And so we do want to not only be sensitive to not being biased, but also to make sure that we're being inclusive. Now, that sounds good. And what do you do to make sure that your tests are valid and are, and are testing the skills that are actually needed in nursing? So the way that we go about developing our assessments is that we pull together content review committees. So we call for nurse educators, directors, deans of programs throughout the U.S. to join a committee with an area of their specialty. We talk to them about what areas they're covering in their curriculum. There is not a nationally based curriculum for nursing um, education here in the U.S. So we let the NCLEX licensure exam is our overall guide, looking at all those categories and then also taking into account testing for clinical judgment, looking for soft skills for nursing. Um, we look at the nursing process and all the different concepts and topic areas that are covered within the different areas of nursing. So nursing education is primarily broken into foundations, med surge or care of the adults, looking at pediatric, looking at maternity, and mental health. This year, we're producing a brand new line of exams that will also include a focus on community health. Interesting, interesting. And I think you do about 100,000 assessments a year. Is that right? That's correct. So I know that um, you recently gave a presentation at the ATP conference about how you were moving to remote proctoring during COVID. 
And for people who haven't seen that presentation, do you want to share a little bit about that? I think people would love to hear your experience uh, with Question Mark, with remote proctoring, and why you did it and things like that. Right. So prior to March of 2020, our assessments were all delivered on site in the testing centers, primarily located at the schools. And then, of course, on March 13th, when the schools you know, we pretty well shut down here in the United States. Those testing centers were closing. Um, March is also the pivotal time for when applications are due for the following fall semester for nursing programs. So there was pre-admission testing going on, students who had already scheduled those assessments, and then also graduation as well. So those end of program exams, which were also imperative to still continue in order for them to graduate. So we came to Question Mark, who is our vendor, and said, how can we continue doing this in a secure way, delivering the exams without having actual proctors in person? So it took about a month, and we were back up and running, utilizing Examity for remote one-on-one proctoring. And then later in the summer, we added the record and review proctoring services through Proctorio. This past spring, what I was most interested in finding out was what the student perceptions were of this transition, because we went dark for about four weeks. What happens is we were, at the time, selling the exams directly to the school, and then the school was communicating the information and doing the scheduling. And since schools were closed and administration was, you know, they were not on site, there were not updates being able to go out to let students know what was going on with the test. Um, We really had to quickly change wheels and move to students being able to go ahead and pay for the exams, schedule themselves, come up to speed on everything they needed. One of the difficulties that we ran into was actually availability for them to have the hardware that they needed to do this transition. You mean they didn't have laptops and things like that? So they may have had laptops, but their laptops did not have web cameras with them or they were utilizing you know, their tablets or their smartphones, which is not the ideal way to be able to take a standardized exam. So with the web camera shortage at the time and not being able to get their hands on them, we did a lot of finessing of scheduling so that students would be able to share resources. Checkout systems became possible through the schools so that the students could go and do a pickup and a drop-off in order to take those exams from home. But despite all those things that arose during that time, when we did do a survey of the students to ask them about their perceptions, 80% of our respondents told us that they were satisfied or highly satisfied with the test administration and the process that occurred in doing the switchover, and that they did not feel that their scores were impacted by that change either. So that was positive news for us. And do you think that you'll carry on with uh, remote testing? Will it all go back to test centers or? So right now we're in the process of doing an audit for fall, but what we're hearing back from our customers from the schools, especially those with online programs uh, for the bridge programs, is that they really appreciate being out of the testing business, so to speak. And they would like to continue utilizing the remote proctoring with the student registration and direct payment. So I think we're going to see a hybrid for that in the fall. That's very interesting. So so basically, 
COVID has introduced a new way for people to take tests and that that is seen as good and helpful by quite a lot of those students. Yes. Interesting, interesting. Now let's uh, change tack a little bit because I know you've done a, a PhD and you've done a lot of investigating about good ways to do learning. Tell me about your PhD. My PhD, I was currently already working with the National League for Nursing. I received my PhD in 2016. So I, you know, I'd mentioned that I waited a bit. I did wait for my girls to grow up. There's challenges in doing that, going back to school later. Uh, the joke came to be that I needed to defend and and graduate prior to the birth of my first grandchild. And so I, I was able to successfully do that. But she was definitely the motivator for getting me to get that wrapped up with my dissertation. We all need some some motivation. So, so what was the subject of your PhD? I focused on learning strategies and targeting learning for assessment and how to utilize assessment as a learning tool not just looking at it from an evaluation um, perspective. And what I wanted to find out was primarily focusing on feedback and the idea of delaying feedback. And if delaying feedback and forcing students into retrieval practice and spaced learning, if that would improve their performance on future assessments. So that's really interesting. And I suspect some of our listeners may not know about some of these concepts. So could we start off with the sort of spaced learning. Would you like to explain to people what spaced learning is and how it helps? So the way that spaced learning works is that you are using the strategy of having the student repeat that learning again in the future and doing that over a period of time. So perhaps you start with a particular topic. The ideal situation is, of course, students walk in at the beginning of fall. And we know from kindergarten all the way through higher ed, one of those, the first couple of weeks are spent doing a review of the end of year lessons from prior semester back from spring. And that is space learning. That's the best example of space learning, right? They learned it They finished it off in the spring when it was introduced to them. They have the whole entire summer period that goes by, that two, three-month period that comes back, and then you're reviewing that information with them again. Same idea, not as dramatic as taking the summer. In nursing, students start with their foundation and their fundamental classes their first semester in of their nursing program. Once they have completed that semester, they'll go on to more specific areas like pediatrics or maternity to wrap up their program. But interestingly, when they sit down for their licensure exam, primarily those items are going to be having them recall what they learned in fundamentals and in foundation. So I think what what you're saying is that there's a very good uh, psychological effect that if you space out learning over time, people retain it much better than if you give it them all in one big chunk. So that, for example, if you've got planning to have three sessions on a topic, you're better off, say, having one in one week, one in the next week, and one the week afterwards than having, say, three in the same day. Have I got that right? Right. And it's really a recap of what they've learned as well over that time. So whether it's an interval of a couple days, a couple weeks, maybe a couple months after that first learning event, they're reviewing that information again. And assessment's a great way to do that 
utilizing questions because those questions are, you know, trigger your mind to recall what it was that you learned and how to correctly respond to those items. So I think what we're saying is that there's two psychological effects here. One is that if you separate out learning, people retain it better. And the other is that if you give people retrieval practice for assessments or otherwise, they'll also retain it better. And if you can combine them both, you get an even bigger effect. Absolutely. And the key to that is to make sure that when they are doing that retrieval practice, that they are being provided with feedback so they know and can identify those areas that they have learned or those areas that they may have mislearned so that they can make that connection, make that correction, learn it correctly, and then go ahead and, and build that learning bench correctly back in their mind so that they can pull that information forward again correctly. So how long after you somebody does some learning or training should you give them a test or how often should you test them afterwards? So for my dissertation, what the way that I ran my study that I found the most successful in being able to improve future performance was that students took a test. There was a delay in providing them a feedback with their score for 24 hours. And then there was a 72-hour period before retesting them again with similar type items. And then there was a spaced period of two weeks where they were assessed again with items from those same topic areas, but again, different items. So really then this deals with the forgetting curve that people learn things and then forget them. I think what you're saying is that by testing over a period of time and having a few weeks gap, that can actually take the benefits of both retrieval practice and space learning and increase retention of learning. What kind of advice would you give people if they're trying to do that in their area? If they're trying to do that in, the, in their area, my recommendation would be that they continue to check for retention of that learning. So rather than just providing information and then assessing whether that information had been learned or not learned, go ahead, do the assessment, wait the 24 hours, let them know how they performed on that test with feedback again so that they can make that correction. They can also see where their learning gaps are for what they may not have learned as well as you would have wanted them to. Give them the time to do that relearning, so a week or two in there with practice, and then do the assessment again. And, you know, then perhaps if you have like a training program, you know, several companies and organizations are starting to pick up their training again and doing assessment within their training, you can go ahead and do the assessment at the end of the training to make sure that the individuals had learned what it was that you were wanting them to achieve those objectives that you had. But then perhaps post six months or post three months, do a pop-up assessment again not for a punitive purpose, but for the purpose of helping to keep refreshing that information and helping individuals to practice retrieving what they learned in that training so that it, it carries on and has a long-term effect. And in your experience with nursing students and uh, nurses in training, that improves the retention of what they've learned? Yes. Nursing prep for their licensure exam relies heavily on retrieval 
whether it's them doing flashcards or doing practice tests are very popular uh, in preparing for the licensure exam because there's not enough time in the classroom itself to keep rehearsing and practicing and recalling everything that you've learned right over those 24 months of your program. So it's really up to the student to do that independent work to keep building that information that they need and improving their clinical judgment skills um, as they're going forward. And so using retrieval practice to do that is very important. And are we just talking about sort of knowledge and facts like different parts of the body or drug information, or are we talking about synthesizing information together or understanding and analyzing things or a bit of both? For nursing, the assessment uh, for their licensure exam is all upper levels of bloom. And so we do not even have our assessment levels at the knowledge or comprehension level. Everything is written at analysis and above. That's excellent. And anybody who's listening to this, I'd encourage certainly to be testing above knowledge if you can do, because I think that is much more valuable. So I think what you're saying is that learning is continuous and testing is continuous and you can use testing to help people retain learning. And learning isn't an event, it's this kind of process and needs to carry on for, for a while. Correct, it is a process. And it is a process that we have seen and has proven to improve future performance as well. And, and what about feedback? Is it best to give feedback immediately after a test, after a delay? And if so, how long a delay? Everyone wants their score report, right? They want to know how they performed. Sure. Um, did I pass? Did I fail? Did I get the number of points that I needed to be successful or obtain um, whatever the criteria was that I have set for myself? But you can utilize that assessment report as a learning tool. And ideally, you would delay providing that feedback for at least a 24-hour period because that will force the student or the test taker to go back and automatically begin doing a memory retrieval of, oh, I answered this way to that question because I thought this, and now I have the rationale for the correct response. And if I was incorrect in my response, now I can correct what I've mislearned and, and can correct what I have learned. Um, so by having the students review that score report, you know, 24 hours later, they still generally recall what those items were that they saw, perhaps not word for word. We really don't want them to learn the questions word for word, but they do remember the general content or topic or the way that the question was presented. And so that's bringing that information back forward to make that connection with that report. And what feedback should you give? Should you just tell people whether they're right or wrong, or should you give the correct answer, or what other things? The best feedback that you can provide is corrective and informative. So whether the answer is correct or incorrect, you want to make sure that you provide the correct response, but also rationale. And ideally, the rationale for why the response that was the correct response is the correct response, and if possible, the rationale for the alternative uh, responses and why those were not the best choice. Thank you. So I think if we just uh, recap a bit what we've covered in this podcast, we, we heard a little bit about the National League for Nursing and how remote proctoring has uh, uh, taken over to some extent from test centers and looks like it's there to stay as it gives people a better experience. And then we've jumped on to your PhD and uh, research work where we've talked about spaced learning and the retrieval practice and assessments for learning. In terms of the 
research to practice and uh, good advice for other people with uh, learning and assessment programs, what would you say would be the key takeaways that people should use to uh, try and take advantage of space learning or retrieval practice? So repeating those assessments with similar but different items and doing that over a spaced period of time. So like I said, whether it's a couple of days, a couple of weeks, even a couple of months, continues to provide your brain with that opportunity to do that retrieval practice. And also recall remembering to provide that informational feedback so that they have the rationale and can correctly learn what may have been mislearned or add additional information to their learning that perhaps expands on that topic for them. Thank you, Leanne. I think that's really, really valuable advice. And I recommend anybody who's got any kind of learning program to think about this because I think you can get significantly better results in terms of retaining the learning. Really, thank you very much indeed for joining us today. Thank you, John. So uh, that's the end of the podcast. Thank you, all the audience, also for joining us. Please reach out to me directly at johnandquestionmark.com with any questions, comments, or if you'd like to keep the conversation going. You can also visit the Question Mark website at questionmark.com to register for any of our best practice webinars that we host at least monthly. Thanks again, and please tune in for another exciting podcast discussion we'll be releasing shortly. Mm -hmm.